0: Welcome to the Euro Intelligence Podcast. I'm Wolfgang Muncho, and with me are Susanne Munchenk and Jack Smith. Today, we will talk about Russia. The EU has posed sanctions over the weekend, more dramatically than what we predicted. Germany has responded with extraordinary measures, more dramatically than we predicted. The German Bundeswehr will see a massive increase in investment by about 15 billion euros a year that's will bring german defense spending up close to the nato defense spending target of 2% it will be used to repair equipment that is not that is not functional right now so it initially be a a repair job but it will ultimately strengthen the the usability of the german german army this is a big shift especially coming from an, from an spd green government that had promised to move germany in the opposite direction The EU has imposed sanctions on the central bank, and we're going to talk about the central bank element of the sanctions uh, later. But I I want to ask you, Jack, uh, you wrote about the gas situation in Europe. What do you think? Is Putin going to cut the gas? What are sort of the considerations behind the politics of gas?
1: So I think the consideration here, right, is that So so to start off with, of course, uh, as numerous people, including ourselves, have pointed out, Russia's overall economy is not very big, right? It's about the size of Spain's. Um, If you think about it in the round, Russia is not necessarily in a great position in that regard. Energy is the major ace in the hole when it comes to dealing with the European Union for Russia. Um, It is the most significant point of leverage. So, uh, there are considerations on both sides. In terms of on the EU side um, and, and NATO, I guess the consideration is when we're doing all of this, do we want to be sending hundreds of millions of euros worth of money t- basically to Russia so, to fund their invasion? That's one consideration on the EU side. On the Russian side, Conversely, against kind of shutting off the gas, it's, well, you know, we're receiving those funds. And also there's a long-term angle, you know, what does this do to Gazprom's reputation as a supplier? Um, However, at this point, I I wouldn't really count anything out. I mean, the first thing, as you said, is that we've seen measures that I I think all of us would have described as unprecedented about a week ago from the European Union. And in terms of, um, you know, the Russian government, in terms of Vladimir Putin specifically, We had always been clear, and I think this is completely true, that the bigger risk for Putin from the invasion is the prospect of casualties more so than the gas, right? The mass casualties in the Soviet war in Afghanistan played a direct role in the Soviet Union collapsing. The debacle over Chechnya almost led to the Russian Federation collapsing in the 1990s. A long protracted war could be really, really bad for him, right? In and of itself, without any sanctions or without anything else. So he's already gone and taken that step. And I think compared to that, the the prospect of shutting off the gas is relatively kind of, you know, less risky. So I, I certainly wouldn't count him out doing it because if he really, really wanted to hurt the rest of Europe, that, that would be how he would do it.
2: Yeah, the question is then, I mean, how would the the Western world then react if he shuts off the gas? Would we just all kind of being flabbergasted and uh, uh, paralyzed by this move? I mean, that's the, the, the big question, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, the, fortunately, is it's, it's, it's the, the winter is over. I mean, today is technically the last day of winter, the meteorological winter. T- spring starts. Mm-hmm. Where we are sitting, this is Britain, things are very mild uh, if there was no gas I mean Britain is probably less, less affected but Germany will be much more affected mm-hmm. um, they could probably make it through to uh, November or December on on current on current energies it will have an impact on the electric uh, on electricity supplies it's not just gas but also coal uh, we, we import coal from from Russia and Germany mm-hmm. so this will produce an energy crisis without without a doubt because we I mean, as you Jack you' written this before. We have a limited capacity to replace a lot of Russian gas with other gas, but we will not completely replace the the imports with it. But the politics of it is, is going to be vicious. I mean, we heard Robert Habeck, the German economics minister, say this morning that if Russia cuts off the gas, it will never be restored. So this is basically a you know a very sort of alpha male threat. Very rarely do we hear this from Germany coming coming from Germany, but mm-hmm. but you know, I'm not entirely surprised to hear this from Harbeck. Uh, and that is basically now the position of the government. This is mm-hmm. not a, a you know a, a, the view of a green politician. Um, so that's something that Putin will have to take into account. It's a very different regime in Germany now than the one that he had been used to with Angela Merkel, uh, who has been, you know, whose ministers have been making deals with him and especially with the SPD, mm. whose uh, politicians have been making deals with him. He probably feels also misled by Gerhard Schröder, who might have, you know, assured him that Germany was on board and that ensured him of his influence. So I, I would be very, I, you know, that, that is sort of part of his, of his, of his miscalculation. But I think. I think he will be careful with the, with the, with the gas for the following reason: we are cutting him off the the central the central bank sanction. This is the one. I have to be quite honest. I did not expect. I did not see this. We all discussed SWIFT, and we, you know, we were in our briefings. We were writing that SWIFT is is not the thing that people thought it would be. It's not the. It's not the, It's not it's the not bazooka. Hmm. Uh, you know, it can be. It can be very damaging hmm. to some banks, but most likely it would produce a financial crisis in Europe itself. So it's not a particularly sensible sanction. The way they have now constructed it, it won't do that. They've exempted all the payments that are. Um, That are difficult, but Putin can probably respond to this and, and, and turn it into a financial crisis. He will probably have that capacity, but he needs access to money and the access to money. And that depends very much of how much of his money is parked in various Western banks. But he's got, he's got money in China. About thirteen percent of the Russian reserves are based in China. He's got quite a bit in gold. He's got quite a bit in uh, offshore centers, uh, so he can probably get to the money. But you know, he needs, he needs, he needs the cash because the cash that we pay him for the gas, which is, you know, the West. We 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 looked at some numbers this morning. It's about seven hundred million dollars for coal. Oil and gas to go together per day, $700 million. Per day, yeah. That's a lot of money, and this money will 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 certainly fund fund him any war effort that he that he wants to, uh, wants to undertake, and it limits the extent of our sanctions. So for him to. To exclude both the, you know, to exclude the gas it will basically cut him off that money stream, possibly forever, uh, or at least for the foreseeable future. And then he, the question will 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 become, what is the strategic calculation? Also, what information does he have about? He has superior information about his own financial financial position si- to situation. Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much will depend on what his central banker will tell him about the position and what her advice would be to him of how to manage this.
2: I think we should also not forget that we might have reacted in an unprecedented way, but really out of a short term consideration and of an urgency, an emergency. Whereas my understanding from Vladimir Putin is that he had time to prepare, probably a decade or or even more. So uh, he might not have foreseen uh, the the struggle and the resistance that he's now meeting militarily. Ukraine, but in terms of economic uh, sanctions and in terms of what is going to come from the West, uh, it probably must have had some things in place to prepare for all sorts of eventualities, even though you might have considered uh, the whole Western response as toothless as it had been in the past. So definitely, I mean, in terms of narrative, the NATO, at least in in rhetoric or in in, in action as well now, uh, we... Well, we changed that narrative for him and so now he needs to res- uh, respond we, and we have no idea how he will respond I think that's the big question what's the next move we only see this move and everyone is celebrating us like yes unity in uh, NATO and unity in the European Union we showed that even Hungary and Poland is, is part of, of this effort and uh, those who were previously uh, suspecting of actually um, doing a chevalier, a chevalier seul, but they didn't so now the Next question is what's the next what's the next move from
0: Russia? And it's it's quite possible that Putin looks at this uh, some of these sanctions as a you know as a as a as a threat, uh, not just as a, the normal mm. response, but as a uh, security threat. That's uh, what
2: I wrote this morning about Turkey. Uh, one of the things about Turkey is that uh, they are now in the position uh, that they can shut down or at least limit the uh, traffic uh, through the Bosphorus and the uh, Dardell um, Straits uh, into the Black Sea. Now it puts them into a a particular position of power, and that's probably a dream for Erdogan come true, but it also means that uh, it's like Russia could construct it that if turkey really were to limit it that this is from nato that is uh, that turkey is actually acting, uh, acting on behalf of nato and therefore it is an act of aggression towards russia and i think we have to sort of be mindful that this is not our only while well, we show unity but that is also a reading from the other side so we amping our aggression one on the other uh, and we haven't seen yet the move from russia
1: yeah. And, and I think when we're thinking about the kind of mantra convention and about the Bosphorus, it's important to also put that in a historical context because it is I guess if we're thinking about it in this particular respect, an opportunity for Erdogan, but it's also a threat. I mean, it's important to remember that for the better part of a century, through pretty much the entirety of the 19th century, Russia actively tried to dismantle the Ottoman Empire so that it could control the Bosporus, right? And, you know, of course, um, before the Turkish War of Independence in the early 1920s, um, you know, as per the Treaty of Sev, the area around it was supposed to become an international zone. So the control of the Bosporus is is a kind of existential concern for Turkey's
2: independence. I know. I mean, it was it goes with the whole Montreal convention actually was the uh, was also questioned by Joseph Stalin uh, after the Second World War and then this, that was one of the main reasons why Turkey actually joined the NATO so we have no idea of uh, knowing what uh, Putin thinks about that whether this is any triggering anything of a resemblance of Stalin and questioning Turkey but definitely it raises it raises the game from above sides and we shouldn't be surprised to see something coming back in I, know about.
0: I mean, Putin has many, many pretexts to react to, to this and to, you know, in Turkey, the Turkish decision is certainly one of them, but also the central bank assets is, is one of them. I mean, this is an incredible move. Uh, here you have money, dollar assets, and they are basically used for political reasons against you. That is something completely unprecedented. We've seen sanctions on individuals, um, freezing of accounts. That's something we have been we have been doing, but this is the state imposing this on another state. And since a, a currency is a you know an obligation by the state. It's a contract, contract And it's kind of Not not subject to You know Political majorities mm-hmm. um, One could One could easily You know I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering What it will mean For crypto, crypto For the crypto industry mm-hmm. Because Because the whole idea Of crypto is to, to Have a currency system That's independent of states Whether Putin Might be resorting to this What this might be The big moment For the crypto industry uh, That That, that it establishes crypto Now as a As a source Because uh, You know If you don't If you know Because Because it can happen to you, if we can do it to them, they can do it to us. So, so there are many, many things we have to, and obviously many discussions we're going to have in the future about about this. But Russia, in the short term, could use the freezing of assets as a as an attack, as a pretext for uh, as a pretext uh, for military yeah. for a military strike uh, on NATO. Yeah and the threat countries. levels are high right? yeah. we
2: know uh, the threat levels about the nukes uh, I, I mean I don't think we have yet seen the peak of the threats that we will come our way mm-hmm. uh, and oh, oh. who is going to lose the nerves and how much of strategic thing, thinking can we still muster and uh, uh, thinking about also the consequences and as we've seen in SWIFT I mean that was a bit yeah well yeah we, we closed down in SWIFT uh, those transactions but not on energy, because that is important to us. So, how many of these half-half-hearted le- measures would we be able to put? Yeah, we in don't. There? We don't
0: know the small print. So, and also with the central banks, we don't know exactly. Yeah. there are still there are still you know we we how do they operate this and in practice we will still yeah. you know need to you know we, we frankly we don't have the information in order to, to come to a judgment of how effective those sanctions are. Now that's going to be yeah. This
2: difficult. is one thing, and the other question is if we come to retaliate being retaliated and uh, from Russia. How much do we stick to the line, and really, like, say, this is we're gonna go even further? Yeah, where's the pain threshold for the Europeans? We know that the pain threshold for Vladimir Putin and the Russians is quite high, so they go quite some ways to accept sacrifice militarily and also economically to get what they want, or at least from a Putin perspective. That is not necessarily the case for 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 the West.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think fundamentally that is an extremely difficult question to judge because of how I think in, in most people in the you know in our lifetimes, how unprecedented a situation this is. Obviously, I've spent, like, as, as a lot of us have, I've spent the last several days just, you know, seeing image after image after image of people. I, I don't know, places like Kiev and stuff like this. And it, you kind of look at it and it really drives it home, right? Because it's a modern European city that in many ways looks quite similar to any of the cities that that we live in. And there are people, like, in air raid shelters hunkering down in a metro that could be like the underground here or the metro in Paris you know I think I think for people looking at it it might then be I I think it's 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 very difficult to know because this is a case of a threat that all of a sudden looks much more real closer to us and much more apparent than before right and people might be prepared to make sacrifices that they just would not have made before because of how close it now feels to home.
2: But also the fear is something that uh, Putin might actually count on. Uh, all the images we only see the images that are close to us, right? Mm-hmm. That actually resonate with us. Uh, we haven't seen much of the images from the from Putin's cir- circle. We actually don't know much of that. So it, 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 there might well be also a bias towards what we actually can see and what we can't see.
0: I mean, I think I, th- I think Jack has a point that that the Europeans. I mean, we we certainly have perceived the threat. I mean, you know, he's been, he's been, you know, what he's done for a long time, but not everybody has seen this. And so you say that Germans were kind of blind to what happened in Russia. And they are now, um, they are now scared. For the first time, they are scared. That was very clearly the case the evident in the Bundestag. And they probably are ready. To make sacrifices, and they certainly sacrifice the fiscal targets. So these these this uh, this military spending is uh, are certainly outside the fiscal fiscal framework, and they are sacrificing positions. The Greens are even now considering extending the nuclear uh, the nuclear power stations. Uh, so we have seen people, you know, taboos after taboos broken in the last few in the last few days, in response to the threat. That is a shift. So I would assume that there is a. A readiness to sacrifice, but I, I think the the Europe, West Europeans have a lower tolerance threshold in general than the Russians. Uh, we are not uh, we are not. Are we ready to have a cold winter? That's something fine to state, in on a warm day in March. Mm-hmm. But is it is it something you would still defend when people freeze to death? And that is basically the decision that you have to make: mm-hmm. that people die as a result of that. And you will have to defend the fact that the fact that they die as a direct consequence of your action. And I don't think that we will go that far.
1: I mean, it's it's worth maybe pointing out that there, there are things that we can do before it gets to the level where people quite literally freeze to death, you know, and to the extent where, you know, you can kind of prioritize domestic heating over industrial applications Mm -hmm. also um, the EU has a legal framework in place a solidarity mechanism so that um, gas can be diverted from some member states towards other ones where there's a more acute Mm -hmm. need Um, of course the EU in general is quite dependent on Russia but there are countries that are less dependent versus others that are more dependent and you can rebalance it I mean from from my standpoint I think I think people will absolutely prioritize you know the maintenance of kind of domesticating, because as you say, as you point out, it's essential for people's lives, um, and the the damage would be more kind of economic, and then it would come down to okay, what what kind of support measures can you put into place? What can you do to kind of really stop this from being as. Painful as it possibly can be, that might be quite difficult because of the fact that there are certain obviously applications for gas. You, you know, you can't just switch it over to electricity. You have to use gas for it, um, not only heating but you know industrial applications too. However, I mean, you know, I, I think I think in that kind of near term they'll be able to shield it. So you know, maybe people do have a lower say quote unquote pain threshold than they do in Russia, but at the same time. There are potentially more things that we can do in Western Europe to mitigate some of that pain than Russia can because of the size and the resilience of our economy. I disagree.
0: I I think we will. I think we will be this will be this will be different from what we did last week. This will be a case of my industry versus your homes. Uh, you will ask some countries to to uh, to forego industrial gains, industrial competitiveness to heat another country's homes. Uh, and the argument will be made that that I mean Germany will obviously be the net beneficiary of any of these sort of gas divergence uh, you know policies. People will say in other countries, you know you've put yourself into that position. It was your policy that got yourself into this dependency. Why should we now uh, sacrifice? Um, we poorer economies that we are. Uh, why should we sacrifice uh, our energy security for you? Since then since you have really gotten us into this trouble. So, you know, I, I would not think that this European solidarity that we saw in the face of a threat will be will persist. And once we ask each other for help.
1: Yeah. The the one thing I would say though is that you know. That, that kind of, the, the dependence on gas to a certain extent cross-cuts maybe some of the traditional intra-EU political splits. You know, so Germany, obviously dependent on Russian gas, so is Italy, right? So are some countries in Eastern Europe. So you have kind of these countries that oftentimes would be on quite different sides of intra-EU political debates that will now find themselves in a similar situation, right? Like the contours will actually, I think, look quite different because, you know, you'll have, for instance... Spain, France, and, I don't know, Denmark or Sweden or whatever, um, countries that oftentimes would not find themselves on the same side of some of the big e- intra-EU debates, but they'll, they, they're, they're all relatively not dependent on Russian gas versus Germany, Italy, and, you know, Poland or whatever. And, you know, countries, again, that often might not see eye to eye on quite a few different things, they, they will all be dependent on Russian gas.
0: Yeah, but you will ask France to send energy to Germany... To a much greater extent than they do now, mm-hmm. and we're talking about uh, I mean, we're talking about very serious shortfalls here. I mean, there will be LNG gas and there will be more more stuff happening. It won't be you know zero one, but it's a, it's a, it's it's going to be a big shock.
2: Yeah, but I think France and, and Germany they will find a way of uh, brokering some form of um, deal, and uh, I I, that, I think I would be less concerned about to. Then, if if it were to go from Italy, for example, to Germany, that would probably be more difficult to to justify. And uh, the term, term I'm, this was
0: only Italy, in, <laughs> yeah. in the medium term, I'm quite optimistic because yeah. that it will mean that the renewable energy program will be vastly accelerated mm. with massive amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, coal production will be extended, nuclear will be extended. These things will happen. It might be um, a blessing
2: in disguise.
0: It, in the long run, it's probably very positive for climate change. But there could be very tricky short-run yeah. position. But, I mean, we are basically now looking at the scenario, which I said, you know, I thought it's not very likely that, that he's going to cut the gas. I think more likely he's going to do other things. But and he, he has other, other things. He's certainly got a strong military, and he can still default on some of the debt. I would think that if you are subject to... Central Bank sanctions, it would only be reasonable for you to declare moratorium on debt payments. That is, I think, a very likely consequence of that or a potential consequence of that. Uh, That's something we have to... We have to monitor in the next few days whether that, that is likely to happen, What if impact that will have on Western banks. I mean, I was so sort of suspicious when I heard Italy say that they needed to ring-fence certain Italian banks from the SWIFT sanctions. Mm-hmm. That would suggest to me that if the SWIFT sanctions had been applied in full, there would have been financial stress in in Europe. And if financial stress had occurred, then that's something that Putin knows. Mm-hmm. And he could probably say, okay, you, if you've done two-thirds of the SWIFT sanctions, we do the remaining one-third, and mm-hmm. then let's just finish it all together. Mm-hmm. And then let's see, and you pay us, you know, you pay us in, in, in gold coins, please, and you deliver them, you know, do you deliver them... <laughs> to a safe location uh i mean i'm 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 exaggerating here but but you know he could he could impose financial sanctions that we might not have considered just as Mm. we impose financial sanctions that he might not have considered either yeah
1: Yeah. it's interesting on the italian bank point right because i mean I'm, i'm not sure if this is a case of there being a genuine systemic risk versus simply not meeting the moment at the time because i mean of course in absolute terms um, Unicredit, which is I, as far as, I'm, you know, like a systemically important Italian bank, is um, one of the most kind of directly exposed banks in Europe to Russia in absolute terms again. But in relative terms, Unicredit is a huge bank and it. You know, the, the, their, their direct exposure to Russia is a very small percentage of the loan book. Given that Unicredit was in really serious trouble during the Italian banking crisis, but has considerably improved since then, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure of the, di- of the direct risk this poses versus it kind of maybe, the, the you know, again, not, not really meeting the moment. And, you know, the Italians at that point taking a very risk averse attitude versus the one that they would take right now.
2: We have other countries. We have uh, Austria, the Raiffeisen in Austria are very much uh, at French, the forefront. Yeah. The
0: French are The French, uh,
2: Zogchen, I think, oh, yes. uh, is also highly exposed. So I think we have not yet reached the bottom of that, uh, uh, that possibility of what it means for us. Uh, we only see it in one direction. Again, we see it in one direction, but not the other. And uh, all of what uh, peace studies have told us, uh, once you have the, or the violence, the cycle of violence is a cycle in the sense that it actually continues and continues, and there is no it's just not a one directional thing but we will see also sort of a back and forth before any peace uh, or any uh, mediation could have any success. I mean we had the more this morning, we had the first meeting between Ukraine and Russia at the borders of Belarus. Uh, So it it led to sort of a ceasefire which is encouraging. There is something at least happening. Of course uh, we are far from uh, having any peace, peace, uh, fundamental peace but but there is something going on in the
0: background. Of course, this will continue. My hunch is that Putin will play for time. Mm-hmm. That he will. That he will. He will probably not try to take Kiev directly, but surround it with troops, and he, he, he is surrounding it and and cut Kiev off supplies. This is going to be a war of nerves. And uh, I think we will see the EU will impose more sanctions this week on Belarus, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't there isn't much more we can do at this stage mm-hmm. other than supplying arms to Ukraine. But even our aircraft cannot be cannot be easily delivered. Uh, so we have to be, you know, also realistic about what our unity and can do we certainly you know, I think is the post- I think it's posturing to to talk about EU, Ukrainian EU membership at this point it sounds it may it, may, it makes people feel good but uh, it, this is not a realistic prospect um, as a policy right now and it might actually provoke Russia exactly. and, and, and it's make, an act of it may it may it may actually m- make the the conflict worse and increase Putin's determination to leave behind scorched earth. um, That's something that we should think about. Uh,
1: Yeah, certainly in terms of kind of what's going on at the the moment, there there I think definitely from uh, Putin and the Russian military will be some sort of change in tack because... Clearly, at the very beginning of this, they tried something and operationally it didn't work out right. For instance, on a clear day one objective was to take Hostumel airfield to the north of Kiev. Eventually, as I understand, the Russian military took it. But then the, in the fighting, the, the airfield was effectively rendered unusable. Yesterday, of course, they launched an offensive over Kharkiv, which also did not work out. They they don't hold, at least at the time that we're recording this, any major cities. In terms of doing this very quickly, so far it looks like that hasn't gone to plan. Um, so digging in, I guess, would be a preferable alternative to urban warfare, which would be incredibly nasty, incredibly costly.
2: I think the NATO was expecting that anyway. Uh, so cutting off the supply uh, supply chains uh, from from Ukraine uh, is the best way forward, also to limit the, the loss of lives. Because uh, urban, wa- urban warfare is really not something you, uh, not something that is so easily done. And you lose a lot of, uh, like you said, Jack, before, uh, that's something where you can, uh, the Russians actually can lose sympathy with their own uh, people even more mm-hmm. if, uh, if uh, the human cost is too high. So, um, relatively to that, the cutting off of supply chains uh, chain, uh, chains are much... Uh, much they are efficient and
0: uh, much more likely to succeed. And on this note, I you know I think we should probably come uh, come to a close. I think what this discussion has shown that we should probably not celebrate uh, at, uh, too early. There have been some encouraging signs on the side, of certainly on the side of of, of the EU and of Germany. There has been a sort of a sense of unity, but we don't know how the sanctions work, and uh, we don't know whether the unity will hold. And we certainly don't know how the war will develop in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, I mean, a, a kind of final thought from me is I definitely think it is too early to call anything yet. Although I will say that I've been pleasantly surprised so far by the, by the unity, right? I think that we've seen the European Union do things in the last five days that we never saw it do at any point in its history, really, in terms of the speed at which decisions have been made, some of the really difficult areas in which decisions have been made, too. Um, So that's been, it's,
0: uh, yeah, we've been, I've been generally skeptical of this, this, this kind of argument, because we've seen this uh, pretty much throughout the euro crisis, people told us this, that is, you know, they've done something they've never done before. And ultimately, we have to assess action in terms of its effects, not of, of or in terms of its immediate comes. That's it, it is true what, what we saw in the last five days. We would not have predicted this. We did not predict this. But I I cannot judge this. I don't, you know, the German policy change is meaningful if it persists Mm -hmm. Uh, and if the majority is there. And, you know, I suspect I'm moderately hopeful that it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Whether the EU will create structures in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, foreign policy, in terms of uh, economic policy, that remains to be seen. It's still an ad hoc thing. People came together and took a decision. A different set of people might have come together and might have taken a different decision. Mm-hmm. And it has I, to
2: go through all the institutions. It has to be backed yeah. up. And we need to see the fine print before we can actually realistically assess how far it's going to get.
1: Yeah. Sorry, just a, another thought on this. Although one thing that I think is different from the previous Euro crises is that there is actually an identifiable enemy this time around. When you're fighting a financial crisis or COVID-19, you know, you don't have an adversary, really. Um, I think simply from a psychological and human point of view, it becomes quite different when there's an adversarial factor
0: involved. Yeah, that explains what happened last week. Uh, But it doesn't explain what will happen in the next five years, Mm. because Putin might not be there anymore. We have, uh, or or he might have, we have
2: to live with Russia. We, might we
0: might have to live with Russia. We mm. might have defeated him or, we, or he might have defeated us. We certainly have to live with Russia, no yeah. matter what happens to Putin. It's
2: not like so, a video game so, where we choose. So it.
0: in the end, the unity of Europe will have to persist beyond that enemy thing. And uh, that's why I think it's uh, it's something we need to be... You know, withhold. You know, you know, you know. We are not sort of joining in the chorus of all oh, the EU great, it's a great thing, and I, we we are more sceptical about about about. About the about this thing, but we do recognize that yes, this was this was more than we expected, and some of these decisions are indeed welcome. Certainly, the, the change of position in Germany, which I think are significant and material, in Germany having having you know been very exceptional in, in several policies and other relations with Russia and other energy policies. Certainly, a good thing that Germany is now looking at energy in a much more strategic way than it did before. That's 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 a, that's a positive, and uh, that Germany is now recognizing that it needs. To defend freedom, Mm. that this is no longer questioned by uh, by the you know main political parties, you know this uh, it doesn't mean that they will you know happily enter into war. But it means that that defense is not that you cannot spend the peace dividend and spend it again and spend it again and keep on keep on keep on spending it. Whereas uh, the world around us is uh, increasing defense spending. That is not uh, was not a. a position and that you could cut deals with, with with Moscow on pipelines circumventing other European countries. You know, there is now a real a sort of a realization a sort of realism that has come coming to bed. And that that is a positive that I would indeed agree with.
2: I think uh, what it shows is that the Germany of the Grand Collision is over yeah. and clearly this is an, a very different Germany we're dealing with. And maybe that is the surprise factor that mm. Putin didn't count in. Uh, that this is actually happening. And this is why Gerhard Schröder has now no role to play. Uh, And we see what we're seeing.
0: Neither in Russia nor in Germany. This is the interesting thing. He's being completely Mm -hmm. sidelined by the SPD and Putin will probably not regard him as an as an inter, inter as a reliable interlocutor because Schroeder, you know, I don't know what Schroeder told him. Uh, I don't think he's in constant contact with Putin. So no, he should probably not. Inter- yeah. and, 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 and you know, Putin is in a, you know, Putin is the president, and Schroeder is a former chancellor, mm-hmm. and you know, who hasn't been chancellor for for 20 years. So it's a uh, the, the, the positions have clearly have clearly have clearly shifted.
1: Yeah, and I think although, you know, by by far and away Germany's kind of shift has definitely been the most pronounced. And um there there are also shifts that take that, that have taken place in other big EU countries, right? You know, like this is even surprising from like Italy, for instance. I think compared to the I guess political dysfunction that we are typically used to from Italian governments, this is this is quite something. Um it'll be interesting to see what happens from the EU energy ministers' meeting because Spain is taking a much more Active position in in European politics now so there, there, there are also other other shifts going on
0: and indeed indeed and we have to see how these how permanent these shifts are and how persistent they are and how they how they will you know what they will look like in the cold day of the morning after this sort of episode is over when you know this conflict will be resolved or not resolved and we are in for you know we in, in for the in for the long run and on this note, I'd like to end the podcast and until next time. Thanks for listening.